Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie Hare and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and careers and finding out what path they took to get there. This week I'm talking to actor, writer, director and lecturer Stuart Hepburn. Thank you very much for giving me some time. Could you start by just giving me your name and your current position or vocation, however you would consider Wow. wow. Well, my name is Stuart Hepburn. Um, at the University of Stirling, I'm Dr. Stuart Hepburn. Um, I'm the head of Wynn Hill Productions in the theatre. Um, so I'm this kind of sort of portfolio guy with about four or five different jobs at the moment, which suits me just fine. Sounds sounds very exciting. Just to sort of, to touch on something that's just happened very recently. Um, you'd written a play as part of the play A Pie and a Pint series or more, mm-hmm. which... Um, Played as part of the Edinburgh Festival? Yes, yes. And most excitingly, perhaps, um, it was then filmed as part of a new series for BBC Scotland. Which, That's right. Uh, I just watched it very, very, very good. How, how, tell me about that, how that, that project come together. Oh, my Lord. Well, Jamie actually involves uh, our old alma mater, uh, the University of the West of Scotland. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was the University of Paisley when it all started. I, I happened to be working at University of Paisley, as well you know, uh, and around about 2006, Eric Coulter, who was head of STV at that time, came to me and said, how do you fancy writing something about Chick Murray? And I said, I think Chick Murray is a genius and that he deserves to be lauded and and we need to be told the story. He said, well, we've got, we're have we're taking a project to um, Ewan Angus at BBC and it might be Scottish television's first production for the BBC, would you believe? And so me and Mike Ellen and Eric and um, some others developed it for about two years, but in the end it never got green lit. So I'd written this road movie. By 2008, I'd written this road movie about Chick Murray, The Last Night of Chick Murray. It was called Chick's Last Laugh. So it was just sitting there. And then I thought, well, what can I do with this? I went to the National Theatre of Scotland and asked them if they were interested in turning it into a play. And nothing really much happened. In 2011, the NTS got back to me and said, oh, can you do a five-minute uh, piece on uh, Chick Murray at the National Portrait Gallery? And uh, so I wrote this five-minute piece. And then... Uh, Morag in April at uh, Oran Moore, I've written seven plays for Oran Moore, by the way, said, uh, you you know a bit about Chick Murray, don't you? I said, well, I know an awful lot about Chick Murray. Well, we're, we're interested in maybe putting on a Chick Murray play. And I said, well, I'll do that. And so I wrote Chick Murray, A Funny Place for a Window um, for Dave Anderson at uh, Oran Moore. And it went on, first of all, last year. And then this year, it was voted one of the 10 best ever plays. So it went on again in March. Uh, it went to Aberdeen and it went to the Traverse Theatre. And then it was so successful, it sold out everywhere it went. Oh, and it went to the Beacon Arts Centre in Greenock. And we thought, well, why not take it to Edinburgh? So I managed to get some more dates together at uh, Oran Moore. We got more dates together at the Beacon Arts Centre. And then through Fair Play uh, Productions, we got a slot at the Newtown Theatre, which was the Stands Theatre in Edinburgh. And I'm basically just finished doing that because this is the beginning of September. So my entire August was 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 organising that tour, which was a wonderful success. And um, you directed that yes. um, as well. So you were you know you were obviously very much involved. Was that how how did you find that? And I know you've done uh, some other plays 
for example, uh, and one I had a slight bit of involvement about Marco Pantani, that's, the cyclist. That's, yeah, that's correct. How, how do you enjoy writing about people who who were real people? How do you sort of interpret their I, lives? I, mm, for, for I think it's great. I, I really like that because I try and what what you're trying to do with real people is trying to look at a life and then get some sort of dramatic arc out of their life and I mean I read biographies and I read about people and I do research all the time but it's only when you find an, a life that is dramatic that you can see some sort of drama in that it works mm-hmm. I mean Marco Pantani you ask about directing it's actually quite interesting Marco Pantani uh, The Pirate was the first play that I ever wrote for Oren Moore and you will know that we did that in, what it was 2013 Jamie oh, um, and um, Keith as well did did some work on that for me and helped me with it at, at UWS and uh, I didn't direct it my colleague David Overend directed it because I wasn't really that confident in directing it myself mm-hmm. and it was it was a success, it was very good but I thought, Do you know what, I'll try directing my own, own work so I then went on to direct uh, four or five plays and write them so I suppose it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that if I look at a real-life event, I'm not really interested in a real-life event or real-life people unless I can discern some sort of dramatic arc in their story. So Marco Pantani, uh, born a very poor boy in reduced circumstances in Cessenica, in uh, near Rimini, in Italy, went to the absolute top, had the most wonderful year in 1998, won the Giro d'Italia and the Tour de France, only the third man in the world ever to do that, and four years later he's dead in a cocaine-filled room on his own in Rimini. There's an arc. So you choose people that have got some sort of dramatic arc Mm -hmm. in their their lives. So I suppose I have a very... um, analytical eye in looking at real life events because I would never take up somebody's story that didn't have a that I couldn't discern a dramatic arc in. So if we go back to beginning, you were born in Edinburgh. Aye. Moved to Glasgow. Aye. And you've ended up in Fife. Aye. Um Aye. when people um when people asked you when you were say ten, eleven, yeah. sure, what do you want to do when you grow up? What, what was your answer? I actually you? remember I wanted to be either a steeplejack or a fighter pilot. Okay. Um, I'm scared of heights, so I've no idea why. And I get vertigo, and uh, I've got motion sickness. So I think I wanted to be a steeplejack because I saw some some television program about somebody that was up up Ely Cathedral one day, and I wanted to be a fighter pilot because I'd gone to the Battle of Britain day at uh, Lukers. Uh, and just seeing these guys getting into these English electric lightnings and just taking taking off. So I had this bizarre notion about fighter pilots and steeplejacks. So that was the that was a wee bit of adventure, perhaps. I suppose you? so. Aye, I suppose so. It just seemed like I wanted a job that was exciting. I think. Yeah. Um, aye, I thought I wanted to, because I was, I think I was. I spent an awful lot of my my youth being very very bored. Right. But what's the what's the most exciting way out of this? Situation? Maybe yeah. maybe that was what it was all about. I mean, it, it carried on. Um, missed our, our our chemistry teacher, um, Dan. What was his second name? Dan. Anyway, he he was the careers officer, and actually went in his little cupboard um, at the back of the classroom, and there was a chrome alum crystal uh, hanging up. A chrome alum crystal is a big huge 
purpley pomegranate coloured crystal. It was a huge thing on a wire. And at the back of it was an RAF poster. And he said to me, what do you want to do? And by that time, Dan McPhail, that was this. We called him Dan after, Dan McPhail. <laughs> uh, and uh, I said, I'd like to be a lab technician in the RAF. Right, okay. So that was me by the time I was 16. Now, I know you came to, well, where we are today, we're in the yeah. University of Stirling. Um, I think I'm right to see you graduated from the University of Stirling. Just about, aye. 1982. Now, did, did you come straight from school? To, no, no, no. I, I, right, so I, I went, I went for, they, they, they said to me, you've got three hires, three very poor hires. You should go for officer selection when I went to some place in Hanover Street in Edinburgh. So I went to Biggin Hill for a week where I was asked questions like, uh, was your father in the RAF? And I didn't know what RAF was. And then he said, how would you behave at a cocktail party? And I thought that sounded very dirty, a cocktail party. So I said, well, I wouldn't go to a cocktail party. And the third question was, if Scotland seceded from the empire, um, what would you do if you were asked to bomb your hometown? And I said, I would bomb my hometown, sir. I would straff Glenrothes and bomb it. Anyway, I was an idiot, obviously, and um, I was, was was not successful in becoming a fighter pilot. So I went back, but the notion of being a lab technician was still there. Yeah. So I ended up as a lab technician in a paper mill in Fetical, uh, paper mill in Fife, making uh, bingo paper. Right. And, I, and then I went to Nernsis and Kirkcaldy, uh, where I was basically a slab boy. I, I mixed ink at Nerns. Uh, till I was 24, okay. 24. So, uh, so I was just basically dying from the neck up right. still in Mr McPhail's little cubbyhole being a lab technician. So I was a lab technician. And I went, uh, and I, I, a guy whose name was Ken Connolly. Ken, if you're out there, hello. Ken Connolly was, was to be my new lab technician, um, assistant lab technician. And he said, Stuart, going to not tell anyone, but I'm not going to be here in September. This was in Kirkcaldy. See that Fife, you can take the boy out of Fife. But. And um, I said, what, 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 what are you doing? I'm going to university. And I remember saying, what's a university? Right. And he said, I'm going to Stirling University. My cousin just happened to live in Alawa. And I said, listen, there's a university here. Aye, Stirling. I said, Mum will go up and look at it. And we went up and it was April. And there were these boats out on Earthly Loch. Mm-hmm. And there were girls with bottles of Blue Nun and Black Tower. Uh, milk on pieces of string hanging out of boats dressed in diaphanous clothes and I went man this is this is <laughs> this is a bit better than uh, the path in Kirkcaldy um, I thought I'll apply here and so I came here and I applied and I had to get marker for him and I applied five times I put sterling 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 mm-hmm. and uh, for some reason and I know why the reason was 12th of October 1972 and uh, they let me in because they, it was not that popular in those days because of the, the aftermath of the ripples of the Queen's visit that's what it's all about so in 1976 Black September we called it I think it was the 12th of September 1976 I came to AK Davidson Hall Okay. 221 AKD and that was me I was at university and I actually stayed for six years because I had two sabbatical years I was President of the Students Association, and then I was on the NUS executive for a year. So I took two years off between 78 and 80, and then I graduated in 82 with a, a 2 1 in politics and sociology. And was that something, 
were you interested in that? Was it something you thought was a sort of an end goal coming out of I, that I thought, Yeah, I thought I was going to become a, a full-time trade unionist. I'd been very active in the trade union movement, a formal and ASTMS branch, uh, and and got the staff unionised at, uh, at Kirkcaldy for the first time ever. And the union, they didn't sponsor me, I never, but they really encouraged me to come here. So I went to Whitehall College for a wee while, which was ASTMS College in Bishopstortford, and for a wee course, because I had no confidence in my ability to have it. To, I hadn't written, I hadn't done any academic work since scuttling out of Glenrothes High School with my three C hires uh, when I left school. And so I had no, nil confidence in doing anything. Mm-hmm. But So Astam's helped me a wee bit. So I thought, well, I'll get a job as a full-time trade unionist. But by the time I'd been here for six years, I'd, I'd kind of tried the trade union route. You know, I, I was... I was president of the Students Association. I was an NUS executive, but I knew by that time, and I mean, I was about six years older. I didn't want to do that. And what at what point did um, acting, mm. writing, what, what time did that come into your life? And Very what? late in my, my career here at Stirling University because I was meant to go in the, in the year, I think, I'm dating myself now, but it'd, been, it'd be the summer of 1981, and I was supposed to go potato rogan with my pal Andy, and I broke my leg at the Alexandra Palace People's Festival, which was June the 16th, 1981. And uh, I don't have a, a photographic memory. That's my birthday. That's how I remember it. I broke my leg, and I, I couldn't go potato rogan, so I was just sitting absolutely miserable in my flat at Cosby Head there. Right. And this lad came down and said, well, come on, I'm going up to audition for a play. You should come up. And I said, oh, no, I'm not really interested. I know that. They mince about wearing white clogs and doing Aeschylus and stuff like that. It was suds. He said, well, come up and chum me up anyway. And I actually found myself literally reading for a part. And I was so stupid that I didn't realise that the character, you didn't say the character's name every time you <laughs> said the dialogue. So I got the lead role in the play. And... Um, Suddenly, my life changed forever because I realised, all oh, right, this is what I wanted to do. So I knew I wanted to be an actor then, uh, and I was I was thirty. You've got a broken leg to thank for it in a way. Maybe a broken leg too, right? You you do wonder when you look backwards, and I must write about this sometime. What if I hadn't broken my leg? But you know, what, I don't know. What if that guy Ken Connolly? But by the way, Ken Connolly, if you're out there, Ken Connolly left after about six weeks. Right. So he was gone. Okay. And there I was, and I stayed. You'd stay there. So I'd change, change my life. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here today if it hadn't been for Ken Connolly. Right. But what, do, you, what, do we know what he's up to now? I've no idea. He was a clever no. guy, but he just didn't like the university life, I think. Um, he was a clever boy, but I, I had no idea what happened to him. And so to, to talk talk about your acting to begin with, yeah. um, you've appeared in a, all ma- all manner of things, and it's very you know some very big things in, in sort of Scottish life from... Well, recently still game, mm. but you're also um, something I love down among the big boys. Oh, aye, aye. Um, with the I big... was Connolly's feed. I was the I was the Connolly's funny man. Can you believe that? Yeah. Connolly was the straight guy, and I was the Joker. So uh, obviously, this is about yourself and but Billy. What was that? Like? Billy Connolly. He was obviously very, a very big name at, 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 at that very time. Very focused, very professional. Not at all as I imagined he would yeah. be. Very serious. Right. Uh, we were sitting in a, a van waiting to bring you and and rob this bank, and he sat in that van in character the whole time. Right. It was like being in the van with 
you know, a method actor, right, which okay. was very, un, un, I, I didn't expect that. I thought it'd be laughing and joking, which often happens with comedians, yeah. you know. When comedians get go uh, take part in drama, often they can be Jack the Lad and having mm -hmm. a joke and a laugh. Not at all. Very right. professional. Excellent. Um, so, but to, to talk about yourself, uh, things like Taggart, right. I say Still Game we mentioned, Hamish Macbeth. Um, one thing I didn't, I didn't realise, I had a look uh, a cartoon TV series called right. The Hurricanes. That's right. You played uh, Cold Jock Stone. That the ma the manager. I wrote I I wrote them too, but right. I mean I I, pl I played Jock Stone in every episode. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was it was quite funny because um, it was an STV uh, production. What were they called? STV had this worldwide arm production arm at one point, and they they got this 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 project which was a. A, a cartoon, mm -hmm. and it was kind of there was American money. There was there was a, it was a guy that did Super Ted that was doing the 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 animation and all that. And what had happened was it all got cast in Canada mm -hmm. um, because that's where the that's where the the voices were going to be laid down yeah. and all the the voice tracks were going to be laid down. It was then going to get emailed to Malaysia or mm -hmm. something for the for the animation. Mm -hmm. And the STV executives listened to this guy who was playing Jolt Stone and believe you me uh, Scotty in Star Trek was nothing on this guy's accent <laughs> um, and so I, somehow or other I was around and they, they listened to four different accents and I just I just based it on um, Bill um, Bill Shankly Bill Shankly that's what I thought Jolt yeah. Stone not Jolt Steen but Jolt mm -hmm. Stone mm -hmm. and so I did that and I did 64 episodes but I wrote, I wrote a couple of them as well it was fun what, what I did it on my own in the studio. Mm -hmm. Never met the other people. Right. Never met them. I never met the other actors or anything, and just had to do my my joke stone every week. And how how is how is that when you're when you are in a you know a little booth or whatever on your own compared to if you're on a stage or you're in, on a set with other people? How how do you find? I that? don't think it's much different. I, I I you just put yourself into that moment that that reality and think well if Jock Stone was in a on the moon trying to get do a, a football game in uh, 0.6 gravity what would he be saying you yeah. know so I just I've never I've always had a sort of alternative life mm -hmm. just imagining stuff all yeah. the time so I just imagine myself in the situation it's not that different that's probably not the right answer but I didn't find it particularly difficult. I've always been easy. My mum my, my used to say, you know, you're a romancer. That's what she used to right. say. You're a romancer, Stuart. And it was just because I was just walking about in a dwam most of the time imagining other stuff. I still do it all the time, which fits in not very well with being an academic. <laughs> an academic, well, it's a different, it's in a different, uh, a different sphere in a way. But what, how, and how, how um, can I ask, obviously, when you're in something, which is, you know, in this well-established series such as, like, Tiger or, or Still Game, for example. Do, is there, I don't know, does it feel different? Or, obviously, you're, you know, you're, you've done a lot I of things. You've done a lot of things, so... You're yeah, just... I I think, well, Tiger wasn't that well-established. when I'm, I was in the second series of Tiger. Okay. I was in the very the mm. second one, the first one that was called Tiger. Before that, the, the first one was called Killer. So I walked into Taggart when nobody knew what Taggart was. I actually thought it was called Tiger. Because right, okay. um, it had been called Killer and it was just a three-parter. So I kind of knew the Taggart thing. So that wasn't a problem. Still game. My 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 my, um, my dear friend Michael Hines is the director of Still Game. So he made it very, very easy for me. But walking in at Still Game wasn't, wasn't easy because everyone was so relaxed. 
you know. Um, the, 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 the guys were just so relaxed and I'd never even seen it. So I didn't even know. I said, what is the style of this thing? I wasn't yeah, even yeah. sure what the style was. I've still never seen it. <gasps> oh, jinx. I've still never seen it. Isn't that no. awful? Is it, uh, I've never seen me in it. You've never seen you in it? Well, they've, got even, they've never credited my name. Is that right? I got, my name's no on it. Is it not? So, no, anyway. So I found that I was hard. And when people came, I did what, four, four, four series of tag about 16 episodes. I always tried to make people coming in feel very included and, yeah. and relaxed because the the actors get very relaxed. I mean, to be in a long-running TV series where you're securing your character, yeah. it's a wonderful thing to be. As long as the scripts are okay, you feel really relaxed and probably do your own your really good work yeah. because most of what being in front of a camera is about trying to calm down. Yeah. It's about trying to be relaxed and to do yeah. Really strange things again and again and again, um, in a relaxed way, yeah. which is very hard. Yeah. And how how do you, how do you find the sort of um, so I, I've um, I say we work together at UWS a lot, and we I did. would often film you know workshops and things that you'd be doing. And I remember one of the things you're telling students: stop acting so yes, much. That's like, right. How, how do you find how do you sort of weigh that between you know the, doing the job and perhaps the insecurity of being an actor because you know there's short term projects and you're moving on and it doesn't it lend it's like how do, I, you, how do you manage all that well of? I think I don't know I've not, I've been freelance my entire since I left uh, Fetical Paper Mills on you know in September no it was sorry it was near Florence in September 76 I've been freelance the whole time mm. so I've never felt particularly insecure Um the the nearest I got to a full time job was the time I was at U, UWS, and I did that for nine years. But in the end, I had to get out. I got out. I walked away from it because right. I, I couldn't thole. I, I they wanted to turn me into a person that I wasn't. And I was, but where it really helps me is that I think that that teaching is just putting on a show, mm -hmm. uh, and so you're up there, fulfilling a role. The students are fulfilling a role I, and, and teachers are fulfilling a role. So I always was very, very at ease with that. I really enjoyed that and I enjoyed doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think I used my communication and, and um, uh, yeah, my, my communication skills that I developed in acting uh, as a teacher mm -hmm. uh, um, because I try not to be boring. Mm -hmm. And so I think that really helps. I found my university career was... was really centred around the lecturers that I felt were really were, were interesting and were really engaged in, in their subjects. So I wanted to be that sort of person. Where I didn't fit in was stuff like management meetings and, uh, you know, learning outcomes and all that stuff and ex uh, um, external advisor meetings and minutes and all that stuff. It's not really what, what mm -hmm. I enjoy doing and what happened at UWS was uh, basically there was a split and then um, they wanted to change once again the, the, the size of the school and the, the faculty and so it was decreed that my dear colleague Jane would Jane Robertson would be uh, the manager of teaching and I would really be the manager of our, our little division yeah. which meant I had 12 I was manager of 12 people well I can't manage myself let alone <laughs> another 12 people. Yeah. So it, the last year was very, very tough because yeah. I was, they were trying to turn me into something that I'm really not very good at. Mm -hmm. So I like to think that I use the acting to inform the teaching and, and to try and 
uh, engage students with a passion that I feel for my subject. The other side of the sort of management and the, the, the you know, and the, the sort of processes that come with any large organisation is working with, you know, young, younger people largely, mm. or but people who are trying to become actors and trying to, to make something of themselves mm. creatively. That must give you a, a level of satisfaction to see people develop over I, the year or two years. Or I think, I wouldn't say there was, there's not a dichot, there's not a division between teaching screenwriting in an academic way and teaching the performance and acting that I used to teach because every single time all you're trying to do as a teacher is just move people on a wee bit, mm -hmm. just move them on a wee bit, maybe help them to grow up a wee bit and learn a wee bit more and to focus more in on what they are. So I find that a really, really worthwhile thing. Going to graduation and seeing their mums and dads and speaking to them, you really get a feeling that you're doing a, a really worthwhile job. Mm -hmm. And even the ones that thought I was up, I'm not an easy guy. You know, you'll know, I mean, if you've seen me, it's not easy. Sometimes it's not easy being taught by me because I'm quite, I can be quite strict. But if you come half a step towards me, I'll I'll work really hard for you. And when, when that's rewarded, and the best ones are the ones that, do you know, Stuart, you were a right pain in the neck to me, yeah. but I'm, I'm really, thank you very much for what you did. And that happens all the time. And sometimes some of them don't get on with me and they don't, but I think it's very rewarding. And if you're, if you're teaching correctly and properly and engaging in the passion, it's a very rewarding job. How did you, how did it come up to start working as a, as a lecturer in, in, in the university? Is that, was that the first time you taught anybody? Where are you going at five o'clock tonight, Jamie? Do you, are you, you up to anything at five o'clock? Maybe you're not up to anything at five o'clock. Tell her I'm going. I'm going to the Meadow Park Hotel and okay. I'm going to Sarah Neely's going away to. Okay. And uh, Dr Neely uh, is is leaving the University of Stirling and mm. going to the University of Glasgow. Dr Sarah Neely is the reason that I'm, I'm, I'm an academic because right. she was a co-organiser of a, a conference on adaptation uh, around about 2005, it might have been 2006, when she was um, a, a lecturer at the University of Paisley and together with a um, head of, head of um, screenwriting at Glasgow, they, they had a conference. My friend um, Christine Hamilton said, Stuart, do you mind, I've got a friend called Sarah Neely, do you mind if she gets in touch with you, do you want to do a talk at this adaptation conference? Okay. And that's what happened, and I did. And Sarah said to me, would you like to come down to Ayr and to University of Paisley and do a masterclass in screenwriting? So I did that. And um, then she said, would you like to come for a week to do some um, sort of writing and residence work? And then that became an offer of a one day a week job. The second week, it became an offer of a two day a week job. And then... The next February, which was only about six months later, the lovely Jane Robertson said to me, Stuart, there's a job going. Do you want to apply for it? I said, no, I'm not ready for a job. She said, well, it won't be there. It's, it's there in February, but it won't be there in March. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, my goodness. So at a very late stage, I thought, why not? Mm -hmm. So I became a, a full-time lecturer uh, at uh, what was then the University of the West of Scotland. And I stayed for nine years. And and the, the day that I got my PhD was the day I left. So so that's how that came about. So thank you, Dr. Neely. Um, now, we, obviously, we've touched on your, your acting uh, and some of your academic life. Uh, at what point did, did you start to write things? 
Pierce. very early on right. because um, we, we after the, the play was called the the hard man. Uh, the Jimmy Boyle story but Tom McGrath and, and so Jimmy Boyle that's the one you'd originally auditioned for that's correct um, and it was a great success and it was such a revelation to me that I got together with three or four other people that were involved in Suds um, and uh, we formed our own theatre company um, Badenash Theatre Company my goodness me um, and that was Neil Scott and Brian Beatty and uh, Mary Ann McIntyre and Mike Griffiths and a few others, all of whom are still involved in the industry today. And, um, and there was no drama department either, but at Stirling. So we formed our own theatre company, so we would have to do work. So the first thing we started doing was writing reviews. So we had wee sort of comic reviews. So I started writing them almost immediately. And when we graduated, um, basically I couldn't drive uh, I couldn't sing, I couldn't dance, so I had to write the stuff. Although I would never believe now that I would have kept on being the writer. Brian Beatty, um, who's still a dear friend of mine, was a far better writer than ever I was. But Brian, Brian became more involved in the develop, arts development in local local government, and somehow or other I, I kept on with the writing and the acting. To go through your uh, some of the some of the things you've written. Um, Katie Morag, mm-hmm. Taggart, Wild at Heart, Monarch of the Glen, yeah. Hamish Macbeth, yeah. uh, Hurricanes. We've touched on, uh, you know, a lot of very seven plays, big, very big names, and three in, movies, seven plays and three movies. What um, is there anything that you're most proud of? And how do you how's what is the if you're starting something from scratch? What's the do you, obviously you spoke about how uh, in the case of sort of Pantani or or Chick Murray, there's a there's a store, you know. There's a, a, um, a person there, but yeah. But if you're looking, staring at a blank page, what what kind of? I, I the the thing I'm most proud of is the empty charcoal box, yeah. because that's a deeply um, bi- autobiographical piece that I wrote about an inst- three different incidents that happened to me, and I sort of invented lots of other bits and joined them together. But really, it was about growing up, and I'm I'm suppose I'm most proudest of that. Mm-hmm. It, that's an atypical piece because it's actually developed from things that really happened to me but essentially it's usually to do with is there is there a story I think I can tell that's mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. for instance the the beaches of St Valerie which is a, a a piece I did my PhD on it as well developed from just listening to a broadcast in 1999 and finding out about uh, San Co and the events there of the uh, 12th of June 1940 when the 51st Highland Division uh, surrendered to the Germans mm. uh, two weeks, or ten days after the, the Dunkirk miracle and thinking, I didn't know anything about that and mm. finding out, and that really took over my life. So it's just a wee crumb, a wee thing that I discover and say, if I don't know that story, maybe nobody else knows that story, so I'll just do the research. But it's, it's, it's very much akin to academic writing as well because you just start doing all the research and find out as much as possible. You try and discern some sort of trends. You work out what other people have said about it. Then you try and write a piece that's got some semblance of structure to it and then present it and see if anyone's interested. You know, you, you put the you put the flag up the flagpole and see if anyone salutes. And mm. in, in terms of uh, going into an established series like Tiger or, or River City, you know you're involved with. Oh, aye, aye. Um, I did that for a year. What... Uh, so there's there's obviously characters already existing. Do you, do you have the freedom to take them where you want to, or is, is 
or you sort of not filling in the blanks, I don't mean that, but you're working and within a structure. How, how do you find that compared to, you know, writing well, from scratch for yourself? Writing within a structure, working within a structure can be very, very good because it's clear, it's clear what you have to do. There's a house style, they know what the role is and therefore you can be very precise about what you do you know it's really good to be on a good set of railway tracks and knowing where you're going to go mm-hmm. the worst thing is when you've got too many options and you're not sure where to be so I don't, I, I don't mind that the, the, the writing the writing more I, I, I remember I did a Myers-Briggs test and I wish I could remember exactly what it was but I found out what sort of person I am and the sort of person I am, it's really I'm a bit of uh, a, a sort of kid on that I'm an extrovert, but I'm actually very introverted. So I enjoy working on my own. So the writing is really, really great for just going away into your own self. And that's very, very good. So I enjoy that. But what I also enjoy is working with good teams of people. So there's not a contradiction between the two. And I do, I do love working creatively within uh, strict um, structures but I like being able to paint the, the ceiling as well, my own ideas as well. And maybe that that suits both sides of my character. <clears throat> what um, At what point do you... So for example, the, the most latest... We recorded here today, I think on the 3rd of September 2019. Uh, the, the most recent time you've been involved with is, was, was Chick Murray. Chick Murray finished on Saturday night. We did the get-out on Saturday night, yes. At what point do you sort of put it to bed in a way and say, right... What's next? I can't be more precise, but you won't. You may not have heard the last of Chick Murray, so okay. I don't think things ever, ever go away. There's very few things I've done, certainly in terms of my own work, where I've said, "Well, I'm never doing that again." I, you know, I, I like to try and hone things. You know, I'd love to do a film of the empty charcoal box. Mm-hmm. It'd be a wonderful play for today or something like that. Um, Chick Murray, I'm I'm trying I'm think seeing see a Chick Murray was a play by pint you know mm-hmm. um, lunchtime theatre show. I'd love to exta- expand it to three acts, you know, and and maybe see what else I could do with that. So there's very few things that I've done that I've thought. Do you know what I could maybe do that a wee bit better? Mm-hmm. So I don't think nothing nothing ever leaves me. Although I, I've always got to have something. There's always something on the boil. But it's like a it's like a cooking range, you know. There's there's something at the back, there's something in the cupboard you've no cooked, but there's something in the front that's that's on the boil. Mm-hmm. You just hope that you can convince other people um, to 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 put in resources to make it happen because you can never do it all on your own, mm-hmm. not unless you want to live on air. And we're just about to kick off the next uh, term at mm-hmm. Stirling. Yep. Obviously, you're here. Uh, what what do you, what you do? What do you what are you going to do here? Uh, what's the future here at Stirling for yourself in, in terms um, of the, the forthcoming term? I, you know, I I was a senior lecturer at, uh, at UWS, Dr Hepburn and all that, and I kind of didn't want to be that person. I went away and I worked at the BBC for a year, and then I realised that the BBC was just as difficult to do, and I thought, I don't want to be working for an organisation that I'm, think, I'm worrying about what I'm doing on a, on a Sunday night at five o'clock, you know? So through, once again, through the, the wonderful Dr. Sarah Neely, I, I basically got a really, I think, a great job here because I'm, I'm on a sort of point three five uh, part-time, like, I'm a full-time lecturer, but I, I'm not, I'm only in one one or two days a week. So 
to me, that's absolutely fine. I'm basically the person responsible for developing screenwriting at the University of Stirling. Um, and in terms of scope and focus and my abilities at this time in my career, it's a really good fit. Mm -hmm. I also help the fourth year students with their, any dissertations that are done. Uh, and we, we, we do a dissertation here, which can be a screenplay. And so I'm very, very pleased to be able to help with that. But it's quite limited and it's all I want to do. And it gives me five other days of the week to do my own stuff as well. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a really good fit. Mm -hmm. uh, as long as I can keep the old noggin mm -hmm. going, um, and I don't think I'm too doddery. I've always, you see, I've always been... I've always been like a kind of absent-minded sort of person. I, I I forget stuff, and that's simply because I'm thinking about something else. But as long as I can keep relatively compass mentis, um I just like to keep keep doing it if I could. I I, I, the, the, I get great support, and I really like the staff, and I just get the bus from my wee house and come down one day a week. So I'm very happy to do that, and it gives me the energy and the the time to go away and pursue my own my own creative uh, work so for instance I'm sat rehearsing I'm auditioning Pantani uh, this week uh, and I know that I'm starting rehearsals on it on the 14th of October but I know that the first thing I'm going to say to the actress is and by the way we don't work Fridays so mm -hmm. that week the two week three weeks of the rehearsal I'll just be working Monday to Saturday and coming in here on Friday mm -hmm. but I think that the, the practitioner work that I do informs the work that I can do with the students and so therefore the work that I'm giving them is really based on real world experience and I love the idea that I can give them I can give them that so all in all it's a good fix fit plenty of teaching yeah. plenty of writing directing yeah. coming up yeah acting any I don't know I'm kind of nah I mean, it's too I, I, I see I can't do theatre because that would mean that I would have to, I'd be the one that would be told when I'm rehearsing. Okay. So there's, unless I did it during the the, the summer, mm -hmm. really, when I had a wee bit more time, I can't do it. Um, I do kind of miss it a bit, and I do. I, if if a bit of film or or, or uh, telly came up, I, I might well do it. But I don't particularly miss it, and I really love working with actors as a director. So I I. Who knows? Anything might happen, but I don't see it at the moment. I've got a major uh, TV piece of work, a major international TV piece that I'm working on at the moment. So everything might just explode for me, and I've got no time to do anything else but that. But that's that's in the the lap of the gods as to whether it gets green lit or not. Right. It, that must be a, a nervy process, which you, you obviously no. went through on various levels. Is it a nervy process? No. Or do you think, well, I've done I've done what I can. I'll forget about it. Yeah, absolutely. Do it and say that's not going to happen. Move on, mm -hmm. and therefore, if it does happen. Very, you can you can tell inexperienced screenwriters and inexperienced um, writers who sh overshare uh, with what they've done. I've just written my first play and I'm sending it away to the Citizens Theatre and oh my God, I hope they'll love it and it'll be wonderful. Mm -hmm. That way madness lies. Yeah. I write a play, I send it off and it's gone mm -hmm. because until somebody wants to put resources into it, and if you believe something's going to happen, you're going to be disappointed. 95% mm -hmm. of stuff I've ever done has got the knockback. Mm -hmm. So I've got the soul of a poet and the, the skin of a pachyderm, you know, and I've been that way for almost 40 years. And the only way that I've been able to keep sane is to say, I've done that, I've done as well as I can, move on. And just because it didn't happen doesn't mean to say you're a bad person. And that's that's how I can keep myself as 
healthy psychologically as, as I can manage. If you find yourself in a situation where you're hoping that something's going to happen all the time, you, you, you're, that's not a good place to be psychologically. And if, if my, you know, this, my, my the, whatever experience I've managed to, to gain in the last 40 years, I think that's the most important lesson of, of all. Um, don't wish your life away hoping for projects to happen because most of the time you'll be disappointed. So I keep quite quiet about stuff that's 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 not been green, green lit yet. And if it happens, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Do you ever revisit? Um, so you've written up something that didn't quite ha- didn't quite come off. And you're working on something else. It's, you've got a kind of well to go back to. Yeah. And just say, well, that, that's that what was a good idea. That's what happened with Check Money. Mm-hmm. I never, no, I never gave up on Check mm-hmm. Money. So it's now in its third iteration after it went on iPlayer, available on, on BBC Scotland iPlayer. For, I think it's only for the next month. I think it's. Sure. To, I looked. It said twenty nine days. I had. There to you go. Show, so yeah. you better get listening yeah. quick to Chick Murray, a funny place for a window. Um, I so that's an example of just never giving up on yeah. something, and I never will. I'll never give up on the beaches of St Valerie and the story of the fifty first Highland Division. It might come to nothing and it might not but I will always be able to go back the brilliant thing is that because they are in more the sort of ephemeral nature of the theatre they're revisiting successful plays in the past mm-hmm. so they want me to do Marco Pantani again we did it in 2013 mm-hmm. so I'm going back and doing it again and actually I, I was doing the rewrites on Pantani uh, this very morning right. um, so it's good to go back if, if there's a a decent idea in the work, uh, uh, you know, it's it's worth revisiting. Mm-hmm. And I, also the play that, I, the story of Marco Pantani that I told in 2013 will be subtly different to the one I want to tell now. Because when, when I wrote Pantani in 2013, Lance Armstrong hadn't been exposed as quite the, the <laughs> creepo that he turned out to be. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's going to, and it's in, it's going to be in the light of, um, doping developments since that day, so it's going to be a subtly different play than it that was. Plays are always, whether about historical events or not, plays should always be about the present day and what can we draw from from there. When, when and when when we might be able to go and watch that? For you might be able to watch that on the twenty eighth of October. Twenty eighth of October. It'll be on for a week. Sadly, it's not going anywhere else at the moment, but it'll be on or more from the twenty eighth of October. And uh, it'll be on for a week at uh, Oramore Play Pie Pint. Well, I saw the I saw the first uh, version of it. It was excellent, so mm-hmm. I've got no doubts. The come along, come along on the Saturday, even if you're working during the week, and come on the Saturday. Certainly, and we'll we'll have a ginger beer and lime and celebrate the the last show. Stuart, thank you very much indeed for telling us how you ended up here. Thank you, Jamie. That's all for this week. Thanks very much to Stuart for his time. And you can follow what Stuart is up to on Twitter. He is at Stuart underscore Hepburn. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jamie Hare. Thanks again for listening and I'll be back soon with the next episode of How Did You End Up Here?